0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. A scribe then approached and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have foals and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The Gospel of the Lord. In today's Gospel, we have two illustrations of how to be a follower of Christ, or better said, how not to be a disciple. The first illustration has a scribe declaring with utter confidence, I will follow you wherever you go. And notice how Jesus responds. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, to be a disciple of Jesus means sacrifice, at least insofar as taking up one's cross. And that would involve many things. For example, dying to our own sinfulness, our own bad habits, Undergoing that conversion so that we represent the master well It could also extend to giving up attachments. Let's say to popularity leisure time friendships maybe and Resources in other words, Jesus is not preaching a prosperity gospel here We see it even more with the second disciple who says I will follow you, but first let me go bury my father now Jesus response sounds harsh Let the dead bury the dead This has to be understood in context Because at that time in Levitical law if a person died he would be buried the same day Since that's the case this disciple would be out burying his father. He wouldn't be negotiating with Jesus So what's really happening is this disciple is either wanting to hedge his bets and delay as far as possible the following of Christ until his father does die or maybe he wants to protect his inheritance, maybe he's the firstborn. And he says, I better stay with my father, he's elderly, and when he dies, and I make sure I get the inheritance, then I'll go follow Christ. But in that context, Jesus says, family obligations are second to the demands of the gospel. Well, in the first reading, we have marvelous benefits of following Christ, of being a disciple. Because when we do undertake that rigorous following, body, soul, mind, and heart, then we become friends of Jesus, friends of God. And when that happens, God can reveal his inner secrets, his heart to his disciples because they are his representatives. We find this in the first reading with Genesis chapter 18, and Abraham Is following the voice that called him to leave his pagan background and the Lord says shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do no for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness now in this particular case this is the three visitors who visit Abraham and The one, which is the Lord, stays with Abraham. The other two, which are angels, go to Sodom and Gomorrah because they're going to judge what's happening over there. But notice that God is going to reveal what's going to happen at Sodom and Gomorrah to his friend Abraham because Abraham has counted the cost. He has detached from his pagan background, and he's radically following the Lord. We find this in many other places in the Old Testament as well, for example, in the Book of Genesis, we have God declaring his inner thoughts to Noah about the coming flood. And it's the same principle. Shall I hide what I'm going to do from my friend Noah? No. He reveals the plans. Well, because God has revealed his plans for Abraham, Abraham now, because he's a disciple of God, he's following, and he's a friend of God. Undertakes this wonderful prayer intercession because he knows that his nephew Lot is living in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah and he knows that these angels are about to judge that place and utterly destroy it because of their sins. So now, Abraham, because he has an intimate relationship, God is his friend, he's going to pray with boldness. He's not just going to pray, he's going to bargain. God all the way down from 50 righteous to 10. Suppose 10 are found there, the Lord answered, for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. There's another advantage of being a follower to intercede for those that we love. There's a marvelous statement in the letter of James chapter five, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful in their effects. Here again is the principle And that's why we're called to holiness, because our prayers become more efficacious to the extent that we have given over our lives to Christ. We have another example of this in the book of Job. The last chapter has God speaking to the three friends who were giving advice to Job. God said to them, you did not represent me very well. And the implication was they were going to be punished severely. What does God say to the three friends? Go to my servant, Job, and have him pray for you. The implication being they will be spared punishment, and that's what they do. So there's God directing his friend, Job, to pray for these three who are in trouble. Well, we are celebrating the feast of a wonderful disciple of Jesus Christ, Saint Irenaeus. He was born in Asia in 130 A.D., became Bishop of Leon. He was a disciple of Saint Polycarp, who was himself a disciple of Saint John the Evangelist, so very early in the apostolic tradition. And his writings that survive refute heresies, and they do so on the basis that he appeals to the apostolic authority of the church. So this is way, way back that he writes this. Let me quote a couple of passages from this wonderful saint in his book Against Heresies. Quote, it is possible then for everyone in every church who may wish to know the truth to contemplate the tradition of the apostles, which has been made known to us throughout the whole world, and we are in a position to enumerate those who were instituted bishops by the apostles and their successors down to our own times, men who neither knew nor taught anything like what these heretics rave about. So he's appealing to apostolic tradition. It's not sola scriptura. It's apostolic tradition. He goes on to say, but since it would be too long to enumerate in such a volume as this, the succession of all the churches, We shall point out here the succession of the bishops of the greatest and most ancient church known to all, founded at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, that church which has the tradition and the faith which comes down to us after having been announced to men by the apostles. For with this church, because of its superior origin, all churches must agree that is, all the faithful in the whole world, and it is in her that the faithful everywhere have maintained the apostolic tradition. One further quote, this is really an important quote about the Eucharist, confirming what we're about to receive here today, lest there be any doubt about what the church teaches. This is what St. Irenaeus says, Christ has declared the cup a part of creation to be his own blood from which he causes our blood to flow, and the bread, a part of creation, he has established as his own body, from which he gives increase into our bodies. When therefore the mixed cup and the baked bread receives the word of God and becomes the Eucharist, the body of Christ, and from these the substance of our flesh is increased and supported, how can they say that the flesh is not capable of receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life, flesh which is nourished by the body and blood of the Lord, and is in fact a member of him. Beautiful teaching way early in the church. What we're doing today, this is why we come to mass, to receive the body and blood of Christ, which is his real presence coming into us to strengthen us to be good disciples, which is what the church and the world needs, especially in these days. Let us pray.